Man, I see God doing some really incredible things, not just in our church, but um, honestly around the world and our nation today. And I know it may, it's funny, like we, but y'all, y'all heard Kanye's new album? Anybody? I, I love it. Like it's, it's actually like, I just really enjoy it. But you know, I started thinking, and uh, one, of my, one of my best friends, and you might be struggling with it, you're like, is, is Kanye for real? Like, I don't know, how do I know? You know, maybe you're, maybe you're in that camp. <laughs> and, and my question is like, I wonder why we're so skeptical of uh, somebody who's come to faith in Jesus, you know? You know, I'm not shocked that Kanye is saved, I'm shocked that I am. Are you more shocked today that you're saved than Kanye or Kanye than you? And then answer the question, why? Why am I so shocked that Jesus met Kanye? I should be more shocked that he met me. Because you know what I know more about? Me than Kanye, that's for sure. (laughs) I know far more of my personal person. More than all y'all know about me, I know me. And I'm way worse than all y'all know. I've been way worse than all y'all could imagine. And yet he's given me grace to stand up here and open up his scripture today of who I am um, absolutely unworthy to do. And so I just want to remind us, the church today, if you're more skeptical of Kanye than yourself, maybe check it. And just be more in awe today that he saved you than Kanye. And it'll be personal revival in your life. I want to start off, the, we're, going to, we're going to continue in Romans 12. And um, I, I'm, I'm not going to reiterate too much about what we've talked about. So um, there's some preface needed uh, in this message. And what you have to know is where we talked about Romans 1, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the good news. It's the power of God to save. So it is literally the power of God is the good news. Good news is news. It's not advice for you to follow. It is actually good news for you that has been declared And so this should set us absolutely free. Some of us live a life of law where we do these things for God and get God's affection. The power of God is not in the law, but it's in the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God declares this, that you have been set free by the person of Christ. You've been set free from all of those expectations of law. Now, come into Christ who offers you this free gift of salvation, saving, that He earned for you. This actually is the power which sets you free. And it will actually give you the Spirit's power as you are filled with His Holy Spirit to actually walk in all the things that God has called you to walk in. But today, if you read the Scriptures and you're living it by law, going, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. If you read the Scripture in such a way and you are fighting for the approval of God, then you will find yourself constantly falling short And constantly overwhelmed, constantly unable to get where you always, to get the affection of God that you're seeking for, that you're looking for, you won't find it. And so what we end up doing is we put on the front, the false face in front of other people and we go, yeah, I'm I'm great. But in the the bedroom or in the back room by yourself, you know within yourself there's something off. And so the, the literal dynamite of God is the good news, not the laws of God. The laws of God are set in place for us to understand the perfect way. And this is what we will follow when the Spirit of God actually enters our life. 
Then, after we understand the good news, we receive it for ourselves, accept the fact that he's loved you so much and he has set you absolutely free, earned what you could not earn, which is favor with God. Okay, that's a lot, right? But we're there, we're caught up, right? Then Paul starts talking about Romans 12 and he starts laying out for us a list. Here's what it looks like to live the perfect Christian life. So you cannot read this as laws, but they are the expectation of somebody who's been regenerated, okay? So let's, let's step in Romans 12, 9 through 14. And our focus today is going to be in 12 and 14. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And then we're going to focus on here. Let's, let's continue. 12 through 14. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Whew. Come on now, anybody? Anybody ready to give a good old blessing to people who don't like you? Not me. Not what I'm feeling like. So here's what Paul's basically saying to a church that's being absolutely hunted down pretty much. So they're being hunted down by persecutors. And he's saying, in the midst of being persecuted or pursued for persecution, he says, pursue for blessing. So you meet in the middle and you've got some kind of interaction that happens right here. And it ain't easy. But Paul is pressing the, the, the church of Rome to go press right into that mess and give away blessing in the midst of being persecuted. The first thing I want us to notice, and we're going to focus on this, is contribute to the needs of the saints. Did you know among us there should not be one person in any need at all? Do you know that's, that's what Paul is calling the church to, friends? Nobody in here, if you belong to Christ, should be in any type of need. Not one of you. And, and I say this with, with all humility, but this is, the, this is the way that the church was meant to be. And so if you're wounded today and, and nobody knows that you're wounded, I want you to press in. If you've got a need today and, and you really just can't make, I want to talk to you about that because you were not meant to have need that nobody knows about. Nobody's stepping in the ballgame with you to actually meet you where your need is. That's what we were made to do. We're made to walk with each other in the need. So Paul's talking about contribute to the needs of the saints. So he's saying, hey guys, together, make sure nobody has a need. And all through the New Testament, Paul is calling the other churches to basically supply the needs of people in the churches that are in need. And so he's raising money all over, bringing it to this church and this church for the other saints who are in need. The second thing that I really want to focus on today, and here's the focus of today. He says, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. What does that mean? The word seek actually in, in many of the other verses is, is the word persecution. It's actually to pursue. And when he says pursue to show hospitality, I love the word hospitality. It's where we get our word hospital from. So it's basically he's saying seek the people who are to have a need. Seek the need of the outsider is what that really literally means. But seek the one on the outside who has a need or who has a, a need of a hospital, a rescuing, a healing. Seek those people. Actually pursue them with a vendetta to, to bring peace, to bring healing in their life. Seek them as a hospital. I think many of the times we sit back waiting for people to seek the hospital when in, when in fact we, the hospital, are meant to seek the patient. 
But he puts that into our ball field, church. Pursue people to be a blessing. Pursue them as the hospital. Let's unpack a little bit what that means. Anybody know the name Rosaria Butterfield? You read some of her books. I, I, I love how she writes and what she writes about. She writes about, um, and I want to unpack her story for just a second. She's 36 years old. She said at, at the age of 36, she was a professor at Syracuse University, and she was an activist um, in the gay community. She was, she was um, an active lesbian. And um, she tells this story about how she had um, only Christians that she ever knew in her life were ones who had the picket signs. And so when she thought of Christians, she thought of the person who um, was, God hates fags and um, gays go to hell. And that's what she thought of when she thought of Christians until she met her neighbors. And she told this story of Ken and Floyd. She said she loved Ken and Floyd right off the bat. She was just interested. She wanted to get to know Ken and Floyd. And I want to read to you what she wrote about Ken and Floyd. She said, my lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me. She said, I came to my culture and its values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. That means this wasn't a flippant decision for her. She was an academic. I liked Ken and Floyd, she said, immediately because they seemed sensitive to the fact that I was learned. During our meal, I remembered holding my breath and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at this time that God was dead and that if he ever was alive, the fact of poverty and violence and racism and sexism and homophobia and the war was proof that he didn't care about his creation. I believed that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history, she said. They invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn, to dialogue. We didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script, as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. Since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in a home was the first leg of this journey. Before I ever stepped foot in a church... I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd in their home. On and off, studying the scriptures and my heart. Ken knew at the time that I couldn't come to church and it would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. So Ken was willing to bring church to me. And, and, and if you hear that um, and you're a believer and you feel the sense of like, she said, she, you're telling me not to share the gospel? You're telling me not to stand on truth? You're, standing, you're telling me not to invite them to church? Don't you know what's at stake, Jay? And, 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 and I, I feel the pressure with you. Can I just tell you, like, absolutely understand that? Um, but when the scoreboard uh, exceeds the people, um, people will not believe you. When there feels that there's, an, there's a motive behind why you're loving me, 
I can't hear a thing you're saying. And so what Rosaria is saying is, they loved me. They really truly loved me with no strings attached and no scoreboard attached. So I found here a safe spot where I was willing to step further in because they didn't want from me something. And I just want to encourage you from the sense of like panic. Um, the New Testament church was not panicking to share the gospel. It was from the free place. It was from the place of great joy and hope that God was actually already drawing people to himself. I was just simply the hands and feet of him. So if you feel the sense of like urgency, wonderful. But if you feel a sense of panic, Ask yourself, are you trusting in your abilities? Or are you trusting in the scoreboard? Or do you trust the king of kings that he's actually working in their life and has placed you to demonstrate his love to them in a way that he would actually reach them? Think about how he reaches into Zacchaeus' life. Think about how he reaches into the woman at the well. Just consider how Jesus walks and how he talks. And would you begin to model your life and expectation upon Jesus' life and expectation? you'll find that you get the Jesus uh, response when you operate in the Jesus way. But many of us have a cultural mindset of what it looks like to reach people. And we have a, a heightened expectation of scoreboard that's been placed on us, I believe, by a system that cares only about dollars and butts and seats. And that is not the way of Jesus. Dollars and butts and seats will take care of themselves when we operate like Jesus. Come on now, church, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Because people are drawn to the love of God, like the true gospel love of God, which is dynamite for our soul. But many of us have bought into something that isn't quite dynamite, isn't quite wonderful, and it's got so many strings attached. Christ lived, died, and rose again to set you absolutely 100% free to find the love of God, which absolutely will transform your life. Not by law, but by his spirit. It is life. Let's go. Come on. True hospitality is about fellowship, not entertainment. Come on now, let's go. Here's what I mean by that. Let's unpack it for a second. Entertainment seeks a response from a person. Hospitality seeks the person. Entertainment covers real needs. So like I come to the table having a lot of needs but I will digest all kind of entertainment to cover up the way I'm feeling I need something. You know what I mean? Like, I just need a fix. Entertainment fixes it for a moment, but it's a moment. Hospitality meets real needs. Don't cover needs. It meets the needs. It actually comes to the root of the need. Hospitality meets us there. Rosaria Butterfield became a believer eventually years walking with Ken and Floyd. And then she wrote in her book, Openness Unhindered. Here's what she wrote. She said, hey, don't let pride stop you from opening your home. What does she mean by that? Ignore the cat hair on the couch or in the mac and cheese. That'd be tough, right? No, no. Not in my house. No, no. She said it likely won't kill anyone as decisively as loneliness will. Add as much water to the pot to stretch the soup. If you run out of food, make pancakes and put the kids in charge of making the meal. See how much fun that is. 
and know that someone is spared from another humiliating fall into internet pornography because he is instead walking with you and your kids and your dog as you share the Lord's day. One model of how the Lord gives you daily grace and a way of escape. Know that someone is spared the fear and darkness of depression because she is needed at your house today. Always on the Lord's day, the day she is never alone, but instead safely in community where her place at the table is needed and necessary and relied upon. Know that someone is drawn into Christ's love because the Bible reading and psalm singing all come at the close of the meal, include everyone at the table. And that it reminds us that no one is the scapegoat in this Christ-bearing community. Know that host and guest are equally precious and equally fragile. That you will play both roles throughout the course of this life. The doors here are wide open. This is why I love life groups. This is why we do them. Um, I want to encourage you. uh, What does this look like in your personal life? Like truly, what does it look like uh, to be hospitable, to open our home and not worry about cat hair on the couch? You know what I'm saying? But But what is that centered around? Like if my true heartbeat is you walk in my house and you see a facade of perfection and that is what I am most terrified of is for you to see my imperfection. But what if a broken world, when they enter a real home that looks a little bit more like theirs because it's on the real. Does like anybody never have mess in their home? I got three kids. Like it is a tornado 24-7 at my house. You know what I'm saying? Like, and my wife is like running around behind them just like cleaning everything up constantly. But like it's just, it's, it's not always in order. But the, the absolute fear and the pressure to put on the facade of entertainment for people to step into my house to see the picture that I want them to see is sometimes the detriment. It's sometimes the measuring tool which they walk in my house and they go... Man, like that's a different level. I'm just not there. But what if the idea of hospitality is not quite entertainment, but it was actually meant to meet them right where they are? And and sometimes, what if perhaps this is maybe uh, the principle of grace? But what if our imperfections and our brokenness is actually what points to the wonderful King of the Universe who has loved us in the midst of our little bit imperfection? Maybe not a little bit, maybe a lot of bit, you know. But when I start understanding hospitality in this way, when I just simply open up my home, not expecting or not wanting them to see a facade of me, but wanting them to experience the love of my Savior, Jesus Christ, like that is the heartbeat of my home. And when you step in, you look beyond the cat hair, you look beyond the mac and cheese, you look beyond my kids and you go, there's something different here and I I don't have that, but I want that. I promise you, not everybody wants a home that looks nice. They want the love of God. And I just want to tell you, like, I'm not speaking down to you, saying, like, you need to do this because I do it great. Like, I don't. This is what it's pressing me into to go, Jay, why do you care more to entertain people than to be a hospital for people? This is where it's pointing me to. So I want you to first know that, like, I'm speaking to me. And I'm going, um, I, I think I'm not reaching my neighbors because I'm not interested in being a hospital. I'm interested in them liking me. I'm interested in them seeing me in a light and I want them to see me. But my desire today as we open up the scriptures is to understand what Paul is saying where he says, I desire for you to be a hospital. 
I want your home to be a hospital. I want your life to be a hospital. And everywhere you go, bring health and healing. This is the call of the church today. But there's only one way to do this. In verse 12, you, you go right above the verses we just talked about. And in verse 12, he gives you the power, the ability to actually do it. And he says, rejoice in hope. If you press in to be a hospital today, I want you to understand what you're, what you're pressing into. Because if you, if you desire to bring health and healing and wholeness to somebody's life or desire to see the gospel come alive in their life, um, you cannot rejoice in any type of... Um, like scoreboard is what I was, I can't think of another better word than just to say a scoreboard. Has anybody ever walked with somebody and had an expectation for what you desired to see in their life and you didn't quite see it, so you got a little bit down? Anybody in the room, like, you walk with people? Yes, absolutely. If you've walked with anybody, you understand what I'm talking about. When they don't quite measure up, I go, I just, I just hoped for a little bit more, you know? And so Paul is saying, hey, before, you, before all of this, remember, rejoice in hope. What is our hope? Our hope is this, that Christ was hospitable to me. He loved me. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks to his disciples when they're doing all of these things and they come back and they're going, Jesus, we cast out demons. We did all of these amazing miracles. And he said, hey, listen, remember, find your hope in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Don't get hung up on what you are doing or accomplishing. It's not about the scoreboard. Stay constantly rejoicing in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Stay center focused on what really matters. Rejoice there. Be patient in tribulation. So when you begin to walk with somebody, what begins to happen? Some of us might have the idea that when I begin to follow Jesus, uh, life gets better, life gets easier, life gets uh, yeah, easier, right? Like I just want to tell you, walking with people, it gets messy. And it's hard. Y'all ever tried to uh, bring somebody back from sickness? It's a process, right? And what happens if they were uh, deathly ill and you stopped the process halfway through? And you said, you know what, like, it's tough. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit too challenging. Like, I didn't expect it to be this hard. Like, good luck. You know? But he says, be patient in tribulation. That means as you walk with somebody, stay there. Don't leave there. Expect that hard times are actually coming. Expect the mess. Expect a, an ill response. But some of us want to bring love and expect love in return. Come just like Jesus did as he presses in and he goes, I love you right where you are and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep enduring with you. Be patient in tribulation. Stay there. Because you'll find, if you've ever walked with somebody who's endured with you, you'll look over in the midst of the hardest time and you'll go, that. It wasn't what your words said. It wasn't the pithy statement you gave me. It was your life lived next to me. I want that. That's the life transformation piece that begins to reshape my life and the words become alive in that moment. But some of us got to press in like Jesus pressed in and carry a cross a little bit longer. I'm glad he didn't stop halfway up the hill. You know what I mean? Come on now. I'm glad he went all the way to the end. And so what he's calling us to is as Christ went all the way to the end for you, go all the way to the end with other people. Be a hospital to the end. Never stop. Be patient right there in the moment because it's so hard. And then be constant in prayer, just like Jesus walked all the way up the hill talking to his father. The only way you'll continue in the process with somebody else is in communion, relationship with the king of the universe. And he's going to be speaking to you and he's very near to you. So listen, 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 listen. Talk to him. Tell him how you feel. Ask for the help in the moment. 
God, give me the encouragement. And the Spirit says, or the Scripture says, that the Spirit's actually your comforter. And he'll bring to remembrance what you need to know. So he's going to be flooding your mind with what you need to know as you're in conversation with him walking up the hill. He finishes out this scripture in verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That sounds terrible. We could, read page, we could read words on a page like that, but think about the reality of what that means, man. Like, really think about it. Have you ever had somebody at your work position themselves to get you cut out of something? Have you ever had a, a friend really stab you in the back? I mean, if you had a friend talk bad about you, and you, you that never to your face, but you find out they said something, and your response was absolutely, you know what I need to do? I need to bless them, you know? I just, God, how could I bless them? No. Anybody fighter in the room? Anybody who just want to fight? Like, you just like, you want to fight? I'll I'll fight you. Like, I'm good. Like, I like to fight. I'm a fighter. That is so unnatural to go, I just want to give a big old blessing to them. No. But that's what Paul's saying. The ones who's persecuting you, who's driving to get you in some kind of way, and it's not for your good, we're going to turn around and give for their good? Oh, God. Repulsive. Really. But it's, it lines up with exactly what Jesus said in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and then in, in Luke 6. Listen to this. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other side also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. That is mine, you know. You don't know what it took me to get that. And you want to take it? I need it. Give it. And as, as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. Okay, question, how many of y'all measuring up, you know? A real talk, like real, like Jesus told us to do this. How many of us are knocking it out of the park? I mean, to be honest with you, like most of my reactions are just natural reactions. And I haven't even given it a thought that I was wrong because I was actually right in a cultural standard. Anybody with me That's why Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of the way we think. And some of us, some of us, me included, um, have conformed in a way that I don't even, I don't even have a, a hint in my spirit that I messed up because it is so natural to me to operate a certain kind of way. To win, to fight back, to stay on top, to make my life great. The pervasive message of the day is not Christ's message, and this is not a sexy message, anybody. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Come on. So he then says, and here's the key part right here. Presses down. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. What he wants us all to see there is, guys, uh, if you've missed it, did, did you know that you know that you evil? 
Did you know that you're the ungrateful one? Do you know I am too? Do you know I haven't given him a thought sometimes of what his grace is covering over my life? You know, I haven't thought about it this week about, did you know God's grace was covering me and he said, I loved, I loved you there? I haven't thought about it. Do you know why? Because I care more about my life than his and I care more about me being entertainment than the hospitality of Jesus. I care more about myself. So what he's saying is be merciful even as your father is merciful. So your father looks down on you and says, in the midst of right where you are, you're not measuring up probably at the perfection standard. And in turn, that means you and I are evil people. And he says, I love you, evil little person. And I carried the cross for you, friend, to give you free right standing with God. It cost me a lot, but I loved you that much. And I brought right standing into your life. Well, that's just the truth. And he paid a giant price for it. So as he was merciful, so in turn respond. Sometimes these words can't come to life or they're hard to come to life. So I want to bring them to life in a picture form. So um, I, have you guys seen the movie Les Mis? There's one of my favorite um, scenes of this movie. And uh, Jean Valjean just got out of uh, prison and he can't find work and he can't make a living for himself and he's struggling. And so he finds himself laying on the door of a bishop and he comes home and invites uh, Jean Valjean into his home. And I, I want you guys to pick up and, and look at this scene. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? 
Miss Yola, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for Do you see the experience of hospitality versus talking about it? Can you see a clear picture of how that would transform a life to experience something so undeserved? It wasn't just a message of a person far away who did something for them some once upon a time. Church, this is what I want to invite you into. If the life of hospitality is not a mark of your life today, then I want to invite you into the experience. Would you see yourself as you really are? Jean Valjean. Be merciful as God has been merciful to you. And I would, I would submit to you that you are actually as merciful as God has been merciful to you. You're actually already responding in that manner. So would you receive his favor today through the blood and death and resurrection of the person Jesus? Would you receive his mercy today because you've missed a mark? And he says, I love you right there. I will meet you right where you are. I've been hospitable to you all these moments, all these days, and I've never stopped loving you. I'm with you always to the end of time. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. As you receive and accept that fact, that's what will begin to transform your life. It's the dynamite of God. It's the dynamite. And now, friend, as you have experienced, I, would, I will beg you, the people living right next door to you don't need your words. They need your hospitable action, the hands and feet of Jesus next to them every single day. They don't need your perfect home. They don't need your entertainment. They need the love of God. And that requires us to walk like Jesus walked. And the only way you'll have power to do that is by receiving his power today. And today, if you don't know him, would you, I want to pray for you. I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to introduce you to the hospitable one that actually brings a hospitable spirit within you. If you have no care for anyone in your life today and you wonder why, can I pray for you? Can I talk to you? And if you do and you simply want to grow in the process of discovering deeper levels of God's hospitality, would you stand right where you are today and would we press into worship and would we begin to sing and ask that he would awaken within us a greater desire to be hospitable as he's been hospitable to us. Right where you are, would you stand? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're hospitable. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for the gift that keeps going and going and going and going and never stops. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Father, would you send us 
to those who need your hospitality, Father. Would you awaken in this room uh, the revealed need? God, some of us in this room today need your power in our life and we don't have it and we don't know why. God, I pray for the freedom to actually step out and ask. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.